Welcome to the Grow Wealth Experience, where top business leaders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world help empower you to build your best financial life. Now here's your host, Aisha Turgut. Welcome back to the Grow Wealth Podcast. Today, we're going to explore a wealth building strategy based on private banking concepts where you become your own bank. Now, this is not a widely known strategy, but it's been around for about 200 years and was at one point in time widely used in the US prior to 1950. And what's great about it is once you set yourself up with the system, you can buy real estate or any other income producing asset with it. So all my real estate investors that are listening, listen up. And I invited our guest expert today, Seth Hicks, Esquire, to introduce you to this private banking wealth building strategy. And Seth is a private banking and asset protection expert. He's the host of Private Banking Strategies podcast and the COO and general counsel at Private Banking Strategies. Seth has a long track record, 20 plus years of helping structure and scale personal lives and businesses to optimum financial growth. His proven applications have helped create and maintain financial freedom and independence for those he counsels. He uses private banking strategies to successfully structure financial growth and asset protection. And he's served as a trusted advisor and counselor to entrepreneurs, multi-million dollar family-owned businesses, as well as high net worth individuals. So as an expert in business and legal operations, he structures the client's transactions with wealth preservation and asset protection as a key focus. So Seth is passionate about implementing these strategies to help his clients achieve financial freedom and create legacy wealth. Welcome to the show, Seth. Thanks, Aisha. Appreciate you having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Let's start with can you help us understand what a private banking strategy is? Sure. Private banking strategies is a cornerstone of asset protection, tax-free growth, and a financial system, which we believe should be in every American household. And like you mentioned, uh, it was a tool that's been used for centuries, but with the invent of branch banking, uh, it's kind of taken a little less known uh, pathway. And a gentleman named Nelson Nash, who's uh, kind of one of the OGs or, or grandfather, forefathers in bringing infinite banking back to the forefront, brought it back in the 70s and helped ed start educating people on how to use it. So it's a carefully structured contract that you use with whole life insurance companies and very particular life insurance companies because they're not all... Um, versed at how to use this contract for a banking uh, vault. But effectively, you use this contract just like you would put money in a bank, uh, and you're able to have complete liquidity. You're able to have 
uh, tax-free growth and compounding growth within that contract. You're able to uh, capture privacy uh, aspects, which are not um, you can't you can't capture with a normal bank. So the fundamental uh, basis is the contract with the whole life insurance company, and you fund these contracts, and then you're able to utilize that money and get multiple touches on the same dollar. So you're able able to fund it, say, as if you're depositing money into a bank, or is it like a life insurance policy, $10 million policy that you take out? Yes, it is is a life insurance policy, and you do have certain things like death benefit, which transfer wealth tax-free, but that's not the real fundamental banking application for uh, the policy. The policy acts as a as a warehouse. It acts as a place where you can protect money and where you can access that money with complete liquidity, unlike retirement programs, uh, 401ks, uh, 403bs, and other qualified government plans have uh, very strict rules with ha- when you can access the money, when you can take it out. Uh, there's penalties if you take it out too early. There's penalties if you take it out too late. And of course, there's always taxes when you take it out. So contrast that with a carefully crafted insurance contract that we're talking about as a cornerstone for your private banking strategy. There is no penalty for taking money out early. There's no penalty for taking it out too late. And most importantly, there's no taxes. There's no taxation on your money in or money out as from this policy. Of course, you pay taxes on income, but once the money is inside your policy, inside your private banking system, um, there is no taxation. And that's why folks that have uh, that use this for centuries, and we're talking about, you know, John F. Kennedy. We're talking about. Pampered Shelf Chef founder. We're talking about Ray Kroc, who established McDonald's, J.C. some major, major brands that every American knows. Those companies were started with the private banking strategy and the whole life insurance contract in place. Okay, you know, in your book, your ebook, you talk about how banks use money and the flow of money. Um, as a foundation to understanding this strategy. Can you go into that a little bit so our viewers can understand? Sure, I'd love to. So like I said, in in the 70s, uh, Nelson Nash brought what he coined the infinite banking concept, which is the use of a whole life insurance contract to serve as a banking system for for your family. Well, Branch banking became very big in the 50s and 60s, where you effectively have a neighborhood bank, uh, things that we know today as Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, uh, U.S. Bank, all those brand name big box banks, which are on every corner, and they make it convenient for you to deposit your money. Well, those banks are regulated by a certain laws, and they're able to do what's called fractionalized lending. Uh, And fractionalized lending means that if you or I bring in $100,000 into that bank, that they are able to take a reserve, a piece of that, and we'll call it 10%. But large banks who have 
more deposits than than others uh, are able to actually reserve less than that. So they take that $100,000 that you deposited uh, and they effectively only keep 10,000 within their walls, so to speak. They loan the other $90,000 of your money out for someone to go buy a home or a car or a business loan. And they're making interest on money that they effectively never earned. You just decided to put that money there. Well, that's called fractionalized lending. And it works so long as uh, you come in and you need your $100,000. So they scrape together 10 other people's $10,000 that they had reserved. And they give you that. But if every, if all the people, all those 10 people come in and want their money back, that's called the bank run. The bank is insolvent. And uh, unfortunately, that's a bad economic policy for you and I and a bad place to keep money when your bank effectively fractionalizes our deposits and we don't have the money there. Um, and you, you may recall in 2012, there was a financial uh, collapse in Cyprus and there were bail-ins. The bank actually bailed in on the depositor's money and that was an authorized uh, legitimate, legal way for them to operate. And people go, well, that will never happen in America. It actually is, it's already laws on the books. And it's called the Dodd-Frank Act and misnamed, in my opinion, as a Consumer Protection Act because it does nothing to protect you or my or the public at large deposits. And effectively, the Dodd-Frank Act, what it does allow banks to do is to take the deposits, to take the deposits of, of cash on hand and effectively become solvent. And in return, you get perhaps bank stock or you may get pennies on the dollar and that's, that's your exchange. Well, next issue that comes up always is FDIC. What about FDIC insurance? I was going to mention that, yes. So if you've got you know more than $250,000 in, in your particular account, that's the ceiling for FDIC insurance. But if you actually dig into the solvency of the FDIC, um, you'll see that there's not enough assets on the FDIC. And this is public, published information that anybody can research. And they have about $25 billion in assets as of the end of last uh, year, 2022. And they, there's about almost $20 trillion worth of deposits in American insti banking institutions. So you've got $20 trillion deposited, and you've got $25 billion that's allocated to insure that $20 trillion. You and I don't have to be mathematicians to see that that doesn't add up. There's not enough assets in the FDIC to actually make good on the insurance of those deposits. In fact, it's less than a penny. Per dollar, um, so that's you know that's quite shocking when you begin to dig into that. And some people go, well, can I do I really believe that? Is that is that even possible? Well, I I'd sent you a clip from uh, an FDIC uh, committee meeting, which th those folks were roundtabling the very issue that we're discussing just a few months ago. Yes, yeah, it, it's it's quite shocking. You know, the, the, there's a, a roundtable of FDIC. Uh, bankers and a special committee, and they're discussing the crisis mode. Yeah, they're in crisis mode, and they're discussing the insolvency 
of the FDIC and the potential uh, c- catastrophic economic uh, policy that's been created with the printing of money and the inability to insure those deposits. And they, they're saying things like, we want to control the narrative. We don't want the public at large the, to understand the potential uh, collapse of the banking system. And uh, they want to control the narrative in the social media. They want to control the narrative in the mainstream media to put people at a false ease and thinking that your money's totally safe and completely insured. And if if you've got your thinking cap on, you'll I think most people will agree it's not a safe place. And there are alternatives. You don't necessarily have to play in that sandbox. And you can create your own banking systems where you've got more uh, assurance and safety. I mean, putting the potential collapse aside and not being uh, insured for your money, putting that aside, even leaving in the bank money in the bank with the low interest rates makes no sense. Of course. Yeah, you're not getting paid anything to keep your money sitting there at the bank. Absolutely. So can we talk about private banking? Um, your system that you advise your clients on and how that relates to real estate investing. What are some of the things we can do with that? Absolutely. One of the pillars of private banking strategies we call the velocity of money. And that's putting your money to work and actually getting multiple touches on the same dollar, being able to use the same dollar more than once. And it doesn't work in any better uh, format or structure than real estate. Real estate is a perfect hand in glove way to use private banking. And let me just illustrate that to you for a moment. So let's say that you capitalize your private bank with $100,000. And just for the simplicity of the example, you you funded your bank, let's call that a new business, a banking business with $100,000. Now you want to take a loan out of your bank and go purchase a piece of real estate. So you borrow that $100,000 out of your bank and you go and you acquire uh, an income producing property. Let's call it a duplex, okay? Mm-hmm. A little duplex. And let's say that it spins off $1,000 a door. So $2,000 a month or $24,000 a year, okay? You bought this property, a duplex, you've got renters and you're making $2,000 gross a month. At the end of the year, uh, and we're not going to analyze all of the various maintenance and the debt service. Debt service. We're just going to keep the gross numbers on on the top sheets, just for a simplistic, you know, understanding. You take that twenty four thousand dollars and you begin to pay down your bank's uh, loan. And so, remember, you're the bank and you're the borrower. So you're not only making money uh, inside your policy where you borrowed the money and it's compounding and growing tax-free, no tax, no taxable event, taking the money out or putting it back in, no matter what interest rate that you charge yourself, you can, you can effectively crank your interest rates up and you've got more growth potential. And that money in there is available at the end of the year. You've paid down 25% of your loan at the end of first year and you've got this income-producing property still spinning off 24000 a year. Well, at about the end of four years, you've paid your bank totally back. And so you've got 100000 plus the compounding growth, 
plus the interest and dividends that are paid on those sums, which we'll call it between six and seven percent per year. And that's tax free. So compare that with other investments which have a tax um, event, a tax liability. This has no tax liability. That is kind of the simplistic uh, example of how you would use this to partner with yourself in real estate. And once you've got enough cash in your own banking system, Aisha, you don't, you're not beholden to third party financing. You're not beholden to loan applications. You're never going to default because you're the borrower and the bank and you're able to renegotiate terms. If you've got uh, a, a slowdown in rental income, then you can adjust your mortgage rates. But at the end of four, four years, you've effectively got uh, no cash into that property and it's spinning off 2000 a year. So that's effectively how you might use it in real estate. So you can dictate your own mortgage rate or does it just depend on the the government rates? How how does that work? No, no, you you are you are the banker and the borrower effectively. They're set up with different entities, but you you are in control of the terms and you're in control of how long the term is, the interest rates, you, you can renegotiate those things whenever you want uh, across the table from yourself. <laughs> and it's, it's quite uh, easy because you're the one in control. Right. And, but not everyone, say you're a first time real estate investor and you've never bought a piece of real estate, not everyone is going to know how to do that. So would you work with your clients to help them figure that out? Of course, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's not quite as as complicated as it, as it might sound. I mean, you effectively the, the money is yours to access. It's fully liquid. There, it's about as easy as telling uh, the life insurance company where you want them to wire money. And so, <clears throat> from that point, you can put your money back in the bank on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, on a yearly basis. Uh, but it's at work for you. And that's the important part is you're capturing the velocity of money. You put the $1 in to your bank, you borrowed a dollar out, you bought a piece of real estate with that dollar, that dollar came back to you in rental cash flow, and then you paid your bank back with that same dollar. There's a cycle there where you're getting multiple touches on the same dollar that you only earned once. You earned that dollar one time originally. You, you capitalized your bank and then you put that money to work five, six, seven times. And you can do the same thing in any type of uh, business scenario. If you've got, uh, you know, let's say that you're a farmer and you need equipment and you need to continually purchase equipment, you can use it with auto financing. You can use it with any type of asset or any type of inventory in business that has cyclical uh, return and has a, a, a cash flow opportunity. Um, what you don't want to do is just eat your seed, as I like to say, and you, where you don't put it to work for yourself. You don't just consume the money. You put it into an, a, a return, something that's producing a return, something that's producing a cash flow. Absolutely. Now, if we want to lend money, say as a lender uh, for someone else to go buy real estate, can we do that as well from the from the, your account? Sure. Yeah. We, I mean, you could use the money in your private bank for any purpose. There are no restrictions or limitations. I mean, and there's this is the the banking side of the equation. So 
there's some series that we've done uh, called the Paul Bunyan uh, parts one, two, and three. And what it does is analyze uh, a gentleman who was in the forestry business and he was financing all of his equipment through uh, third parties. And he began to implement the private banking and, and, bought one piece of equipment, financed it through his own bank, then two, then three, then four, and created that system where all of the money that he has in his own banking system, he was able to fund his business needs, his operating budget for his business through that as he grew. And then ultimately, he went out and began to finance other forestry uh, businesses for their equipment financing. And he ultimately got out of the forestry business and became uh, a banker, complete banker through his own private banking system because he had began to amass that much wealth. So it's it's quite doable. And there are many folks that become, uh, they transition out of their core uh, expertise, whatever it was, whether it's chiropractic business or forestry, and they become bankers. Now, what if you want to purchase something and there's not enough money in your bank. Can you team up with other people to say, you, for example, you want to buy an apartment building? The people that you team up with, do they have to have a life insurance policy as well? Or does it not matter? No, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're going to syndicate uh, real estate opportunities into a group, uh, your interest or your, you know, your part in the deal, you can fund through your own private bank. It doesn't have to be the entire chunk uh, of the acquisition, um, but at the same time, it, you, you have you can't use what you haven't put in your bank. So you're not going to be able to borrow out of your bank what you haven't put in. So you know, I, if I've got a hundred thousand dollars and I can buy a duplex, uh, I d- I can't buy a million dollar apartment. Now, we're running out of time, so I want to ask you, do you have any advice for our listeners out there, for someone that maybe cons- that hasn't started their wealth building journey or hasn't started investing? Um, do you have any advice for people? Sure. I, I think that it's, uh, it's critical that you get educated and that you, you do your, your due diligence and your research um, and begin to uh, make those decisions now. And procrastination is not your friend. Uh, I, one of the things that we like to illustrate with these plans is as folks begin to put them uh, in place for their family, that the generational wealth that's created from one generation to the next to, to the next is quite uh, amazing, frankly. And it's from doing nothing other than putting it the steps in motion. And that's if you don't even you, you don't have to be a real estate mogul or make the best investments ever to have to accumulate that wealth. It's simply putting the money in place in your banks and letting it compound and grow tax-free uh, year after year. It's the tax-free aspect of it, Aisha, is is really quite uh, amazing. And it's if you want to dig further into uh, the carve-out, it's Internal Revenue Code seventy-seven hundred two as to why uh, it's such a powerful tool. That's why, the, like I mentioned, a lot of the wealthiest people that we, we know and hear of are using private banking to establish that wealth. Like I always say, it's not what you, how much you earn, it's how much you keep. 
And it sounds like from your life insurance policy system, it's very advantageous for that. That's right. Yeah. And you need to, you need to, when you get started, the procrastination in a compound curve uh, is, is one that hurts you most at the end. I don't know if you've ever heard this said, but uh, it's in our book and we talk about a penny doubled over 30 days and what it uh, actually comes out to. And that, it's funny, I tell this story because uh, my partner Vance and I, we, he said, you double a penny every day and see what you come out to. And it'll come out to you know over $5 million. And I thought, that's impossible. So I start to do the numbers in my head. And you know, day 15, 16, I'm like, this is no way it's going to get to 15 million. But as I, as I kept going and got into the you know day 23, day 24, you realize this picks up the most steam at the end. And so inside your banking system, that, that corpus of principle, year one, year two, year three, it's building steam. But in the, the, at 20, at 30 years, at even 40 years, it begins to double. And so you've got, you know, you go from 2 million to 4 million to 8 million to 16 million, and it actually becomes parabolic. So the procrastination, what we say is, hey, educate yourself. And if you want to do this, take small steps, dip your toes in the water and start to put it in practice because in 30 years, it's going to have a a massive effect. And in 40 years, it's going to have even more of a massive effect. So procrastination. (laughs) Yeah, I think though, um, for our listeners that may be further up in age that don't have a very 40 year investment horizon, um, I still think, and do you agree, it's still never too late to start with something like this if you haven't done anything? Agreed, absolutely. And that's that's why we have seven fundamental pillars. And you will address like asset protection. We touched on that, why you're not earning any money in a centralized bank account at Wells Fargo. You're not, and it's your money's not safe. Um, you've got retirement programs, but you're paying taxes. And I don't think those taxes are going to decrease. I think they're going to increase. So if you're using things for a tax strategy and you're older in sunset years, you, you need to be able to count on what you think you have. Well, IRAs and 401ks are not secure, in my opinion, uh, because of the tax issues and where you've got these alternatives. So it depends on who, yeah what your purpose is and what your fundamental need is. Um, but agree, it's never too late to start. Um, I was simply just talking about, if, you know, for the younger listeners out there, the, the folks that are 30 to 40 year uh, age group, uh, it's you will be amazed at what your wealth can do for you inside the system uh, without working any harder and only changing who gets the money, meaning your own bank. Right. You just made me think of a, was it an Einstein quote? Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's what he's talking about, the, the amazing power of compounding interest. Fantastic. Seth, thank you so, so much for your expertise in your the information that you shared from us. I'm looking forward to having you back on the show so we can dive a little deeper in the future for the next episodes. Love to, Aisha. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in. 
See you next time. And don't forget, like and subscribe to the channel.